Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last Sunday, we talked about freedom. It was our Independence Day service, and I believe God blessed it in a great way. We talked about our national freedom, how blessed we were talking about our personal freedom, and again, most importantly, our spiritual freedom that we have in Christ. And uh, again, that freedom we saw is only found in a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No other way. But our life point uh, was this, and it's something, again, we should remember, we should take with us and live with it every single day of our life. The life point was this, freedom is a precious gift not to be taken for granted. And again, whether it's national freedom, personal freedom, uh, most importantly, spiritual freedom, all those, those, those freedoms are gifts, and they shouldn't be taken for granted in our life. We saw that it's easy, though, to forget the value of freedom. And uh, we can do this on a daily basis. And the reason why we do this is because we don't keep in mind the price that was paid for our freedom. Uh, we, we go around to, we come around to Memorial Day sometimes, or we come around to Veterans Day, or sometimes it's July, you know, it's July 4th. And those are the times that we really remember and are appreciative of our freedoms nationally. Uh, sometimes when things happen in our lives and we're reminded that we have eternal life and that we're spiritually free and, and God's doing something in our life, we're reminded of that spiritual freedom. But again, every single day we should remember the prices that were paid for our national freedom and, of course, the most important price paid for our spiritual freedom, the death of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, again, knowing that freedom is a gift, knowing these things, remembering the price, uh, we remember that it's not an entitlement. We don't enter into every day thinking, you know, I deserve this, I deserve that. We enter into every day viewing it as a gift, viewing the, the, the opportunities to serve one another in love as we're supposed to use our spiritual freedom for, as a gift itself as well. With that blessing that we have, again, we're the ones in turn are going to be blessed as we use that. So... Uh, this morning, we move forward in our study entitled Life, and um, I'm excited this morning because I know there's a lot of people. I see Brother Bobby Carr sitting here, and amen, praise God. <clears throat> uh, he uh, went to the hospital just this last week and had double pneumonia, right? And some other things they were checking out, and uh, he's here in church service today. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. Um, but again, we, this, this morning... When you're talking about a lot of us going through trials, maybe you're here and you're facing something, you don't have answers, you don't have clarity, you don't have reason, uh, you're just struggling. Uh, maybe it's a spiritual turmoil that you're battling with, maybe it's, it's not, maybe it's something real, like we're looking in our study, uh, your family, maybe it's a battle with your job, maybe it's a mental, emotional, a, a psychological battle there, um, regardless I believe there's a lot of people going through something this morning, and, and hopefully this will be an encouragement, a help, uh, and maybe along the way there'll be a challenge and even some conviction if the Lord has that for you in your life or has that for me as well. So um, let's pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us again to be here and for the opportunities that we have uh, to freely worship you. God, help us not forget that this is a, a, a precious freedom that our, the founders of this country gave their lives their fortunes uh, to ensure for future generations. And I pray that we would uh, remember that and that we would 
just as we saw, take this as a gift and not an entitlement. God, that we wouldn't just sit through this service and endure it, but God, we would press into you. God, that we would seek your face uh, while your word is preached. God, each one of us pressing in, leaning in to hear what your spirit has to say to us personally. And uh, Lord, help us also as a church to grab hold of this message and uh, use it in our lives, use it for others, however you see fit. And again, be glorified through this. If there's somebody here this morning, God, as we've already been praying today, that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, uh, they've never surrendered their life, they've never entered into um, forgiveness, they've never entered into eternal life, God, show them this morning the truth that you are the only way. You've made the way for them, and it's a gift they simply have to receive. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do that work this morning and just be glorified in this place. Use me as a vessel because you are the only one that deserves glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 45. You can follow along in your Bibles. If not, again, on the screen, it says in verse 1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Uh, some, some of you have been here the entire time. You were here last week. You saw what, what we were experiencing or what we, we studied last week. Uh, some of you haven't. Maybe you're a first-time guest. Maybe you haven't been here in several weeks. Uh, but what we've seen so far now is Joseph has invited his brothers in to dine with him, uh, sent them away with extra money and also his cup, his cup, the governor's cup, the prince's cup. And he did that in order so that they would return to him because he didn't want them to leave. And uh, so they get going. He sends his servant after them. And the servant catches up to them, and they're like, hey, what's the problem? He says, hey, the, the cup of the Lord's gone, and, and we need to look to see if you took it. Of course they took it. Uh, of course it was in their bags. But uh, Judah's like, listen, we didn't take the cup. We came back with more than what we, what we uh, came with in the first place with. And uh, we returned the money that was put in our sacks. And so why in the world do you think that we would take something? We brought extra here. Uh, there's no reason for us to do that. And uh, he says, matter of fact, I'm so sure, this is paraphrasing, that we didn't take the cup, that if you do find the cup, whoever's bag it's in, that person would be put to death. And uh, so the steward said, okay, we got a deal. So he goes and starts looking through their bags from the oldest to the youngest, the Bible says, and guess whose bag they find it in? Benjamin's. Now, Benjamin was the youngest son of Jacob. He was Joseph's only real brother, if you will, biological brother, both the same mom, same dad. Um, and it was, in Jacob's mind, his last son by Rachel. Rachel was the woman that he wanted. Rachel was the woman that he came and he served uh, 14 years for. And so he, Benjamin was precious to Joseph at this time. So when the, the sentence was given out by the declaration of Judah that the person whose sack the cup is found in will die, you could imagine how deflating that was for all of them. Because Judah had pledged, they had, all, they had, they had made sure, listen, we will make sure that your, your precious son Benjamin gets back to you, Dad. We promise. So when they go and this happens, now they've got to go back to Egypt and they're guilty of stealing the Lord's cup. You can imagine how terrified they were to go back. So they go back into the house. Joseph's still there, the Bible says. And they, he says, listen, you took from me, so here's the deal. 
I'm not going to kill him, but he's going to stay here as my servant, and all the rest of you get to go back home. But this young one stays with me. Judah's like, this can't, this can't be. I can't go back and face my dad. So he asks him, can I come and talk to you privately? He walks up to him, starts to tell him, listen, this is the case. I told my dad, who's gray, uh, gray-headed and old, that, that I would take him back. And if, and if I didn't bring him back, that I would take the blame myself. But listen, I can't deal with it if my dad goes into the grave knowing that he lost both of his youngest sons. So please, let me stay instead and let him go back. Again, we saw the, the, the value of freedom and the price willing to be paid there. But this is where we find ourselves coming now, and, 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 and this case is being pled before Joseph, and Joseph has a decision, and this is what we, we see. He finally breaks. Up to this point, he's kept himself con, uh, concealed. He hasn't revealed anything, uh, uh, anything remotely close to showing that he is their brother, Joseph, but now he can't hold it back, and he begins to cry out, and he says, everybody needs to leave except for these Hebrews. So all of, the, all of his guards, all of his servants, all of the, the people that were protecting him, they leave his, his, his dining chamber there, if you will. And it's just Joseph and his brothers. And it says that he makes himself known to his brother. Verse 2, he wept aloud, and the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? I don't know about you, I don't know that I've ever experienced anything like that. I've experienced reunions and stuff, but I've never experienced anything like this. But you can take yourself there uh, in just your mind and, and understand how emotional this really was. Joseph was losing it. He was weeping. It, was, it wasn't just like a crying out loud. It was a wailing. It was so loud, it was so uncontrollable that it was heard throughout the halls there of the palace. That Pharaoh's house, not just Joseph's house, but the, the Pharaoh's house could hear his weeping and his wailing. He was, he was relieved to finally be able to break this news to his brothers. And his first question is, is my dad really alive still? you got to know this whole time he was precious to his dad. He had a special relationship with his father. And he was the one that was taken from his brother's from his father by his brothers unwillingly the relationship had changed it was severed he didn't have that because of what his brothers did again we could talk about that we could we, we've talked about the bitterness of how his brothers treated him and how how joseph could have been resentful and how joseph could have been upset we talked about all those things that joseph could have been because of his brothers but we haven't really talked about the fact that he had a special bond with his dad and they they took that away so maybe if the 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 most the most intense thing that could have caused bitterness or resentment for Joseph was this matter, seeing that it was the very first question that he asked. Is my father really alive? And his brethren could not answer him. And here's the reason why. They were troubled at his presence. <laughs> Do you think? You know, I mean, he, he finally tells them, that it's me, I'm Joseph. Is dad really still alive? And they're standing there dumbfounded. They're standing there with blank faces. Maybe, maybe they begin to turn a little bit white like they saw a ghost. I, I don't know. They, they are, the Bible says, very troubled at his presence. He said, why is this such a big deal? I mean, how could they not recognize him? I, I want to let you know, we've, we've gone through this study, but it's been approximately 24 years. 24 years. 
since they've seen Joseph, their brother. I'm going to be honest with you. There's people I see sometimes that I graduated high school with I don't recognize. <laughs> Hasn't been quite 24 years. It's getting really close. But I don't, I don't recognize them. So you say, yeah, but it's his brother and his voice. No, no, no. He, he's learned. He's talking in, in this new, new language. He is, he is somebody different to them. They don't recognize him at all. He's dressed in, in, in Egyptian garb. He is, he is decorated as the, the prince of Egypt. They have no idea. He's kept himself concealed up to this point. And so in their mind, he really has been dead. They thought, hey, we sold him away. He's, been, he's probably dead. They probably killed him somewhere. He's gone. And so I, I want to also remind you, they were also in a very fragile state of mind. Remember how they came back? They were caught having supposedly stolen the governor's cup. They're, they're, they're trembling, thinking that Benjamin's going to be kept as a slave. They're in a very, very fragile state. They're, they're shaken. They're, 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 now they're troubled even more that Joseph is revealing that they're, they're alive. Remember, they've dined with him. They've, they've, they've experienced this really, really high high. They were sent away. They, they, they got home, and, and, and they got some extra money, and... They went back to get more stuff and to make things right. And again, really, really high, high, really, really good experience. Only to be tricked, be brought back, and experience this really, really low, balance, uh, low, low point uh, in their life as Benjamin is kind of on the scales. Joseph, the prince of all of Egypt, now has their life in his hands. And all they know him by is master. All they know him by is Lord. All they know him by is prince. And in this emotional, life-altering, dire moment, that's when Joseph reveals himself to them. Think about that. How, how fragile do you feel like their life felt at that point in time? They were unsure about what was going to happen. They were unsure about their life, their freedom, their family, their dad. Everything was unsure. Every, they, 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 had comp, they were standing on shaky ground in every sense of the word. And it's at this point that Joseph reveals to them, it's him. Now this could go two different ways, remember, in their mind. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> which it says that they were troubled, or praise God. But the life point I want to look at this morning is, is this. That's how God works. Oftentimes, he reveals himself to us in our most fragile states. Amen. Our valleys, our lows, our dire straits, where we are, I don't know what to do. I feel on shaky ground. I feel unsure. It's often in those moments that God reveals himself. But I want to say something very important here. A key to this, a key to seeing God re reveal himself in these, these moments is our willingness to recognize him. Our willingness to see him. And not only that, our willingness to embrace him. 
the brothers, we don't, we're about to see, but they had a choice right here, as I said. They're standing there in an absolutely helpless, hopeless, fragile, emotionally wrecked, you know, wrecked state. I mean, here they are. They're in his hands, and he reveals something that is life-changing to them, one way or the other. Regardless, this is the moment that Joseph reveals himself to them, and they have a choice. They have a choice to acknowledge it. They have a choice to accept it. They have a choice to embrace it. Or they can deal with, try to deal with it themselves. And that's what we have a choice sometimes as well. See, sometimes when we get in the same place, this fragile place, this, this place of, of dire straits or a low or a valley or something like that, many times when we see God or we seek God, Many times, all we want from him is just to fix it. Sometimes it's, it's not about his presence being there. Sometimes it's about what he can provide for us in that moment. Like, we don't know how we're going to pay this. We are finances, my job, health, this, that. God, if you'll just fix this. And sometimes God shows himself, and all we want from him is to just fix it. God, give us the money, or we won't. God, give us the job. God, give us the health. God, give us the healing. God, give us this. God, do this because we trust you can do this. Good, good desire and good, good trust to put in God, absolutely. But sometimes we miss the opportunity that he has just presented himself to us. And maybe, just maybe, God wants a little something more from us than from us just to go to him and say, fix it, Dad. Right? Some of us are, are fathers in here, and that's the way that we're wired. Right? We, we, we like to fix broken things. We like to, we're, we're solution finders. We're, we, we, we're workers. That's, that's the way God has designed males. That's, that's why sometimes we struggle with, with the females, because sometimes females want to just tell us about problems and for us not to fix it, but just to tell us. They're like, this is not helping me because I'm supposed to help you. Yeah. Sometimes, again, we, we see God in these moments and we're like, God, fix it. But here's, here's something we need to get. God wants us, period. That's what he wants. He wants us. He desires an intimacy, a closeness, this relationship so deeply that he gave his only son. That's how bad God wants a close relationship with us. And so you can imagine how it might feel to a dad, and, and, and I can't imagine the, the love, the grace, the mercy, the perspective, the wisdom, all the attributes of God. I can't pretend to know God's perspective towards us. I can only grab what Scripture gives us but so I, I can't know the mind of God. I can't know the heart of God. But can you imagine what it, I, I can as imagine as a dad that if, if my girls, all they ever did was come up and say, Dad, will you please fix this? Dad, will you please give me this? Dad, will you please do that? God, this needs to be, Dad, please do this. Please do that. That's all they ever wanted. And, and as soon as I fixed it for them, they were gone. There was no hug. There was no thank you. There was no time spent. There was nothing else given to that relationship. Only give me what you can give me to help me in my situation. How would that make me feel as a human? 
But I wonder if that's what we do with God sometimes. We get to these problems, we get to these trials, we get to these issues, and, 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 and God in his wisdom sometimes allows us to go through these things to, to draw us close to himself so that he can teach us and give us things in those moments that he can only teach us and give us in those times of closeness. So can you imagine the heart of the Father who gave his Son so that we could have this intimacy with him when we go to this problem or come to this problem and we turn to him in that moment, here he is, God's ready, God, God's ready to embrace us and to just spend time with us and to love on us and, and give us the healing and the help and, and, and all those things in, the, in those moments as well as maybe the fix down the road a little bit. And we come to him with just with, with an emotional cry, God, please fix this. Not, God, here you are. I thank God you're here. I thank God I'm in your presence. I, th I thank you I'm in your presence. Again, sometimes we just want his fix and not him. But God longs for the people that he's rescued. He longs for his family. He yearns for him, yearns, yearns for us, and he wants us to yearn for him. Joseph could not contain himself. This moment, he couldn't help but, but reveal himself in this, this moment because he was yearning for his family to be reconciled. He was yearning to be a blessing to them. He was yearning to be with his, his dad and, and his whole family. It was a desire to just be with them. Yeah, he had all the storehouses filled. Yeah, he could fill their sacks over and over and over and give them money over and over and over. Yeah, he could send them back and do all the things that only the prince of Egypt could do. But he wanted them. That was his family. He wanted them together. He wanted to, to spend time with them. Again, if we think about this, the, the parallel here in our study, Joseph provides that, that type again of Christ, the Old Testament, yearning for his family. Remember, if we take it as a parallel, the family rejected him. The family, remember, we're, we're talking about Joseph, but think about Christ as we talk about it. The family rejected him. The family had him removed. Yet he desired to embrace them. The question would be, would the, is the family willing to now embrace him back? Or would they say, Joseph, woo! Man, about time. Hey, hook us up so we can go back home. Would they only want the stuff? Knowing that their brother was the governor of Egypt, would they now only want to take advantage of the, the situation and enter into this entitlement? Well, you're our brother now. Oh, man, you can do whatever you want to do. Give us this, give us that. You know, do this, do that. Let us go about our lives that we have back home. Think about that again. I wonder if that's how we handle the trials and the struggles that God brings us through. God, we got a relationship. Man, just give me the stuff I want and need right now and let me go back to the life that I want to live. God, we've got this stuff going on in this world that that's our life. And so if you'll just 
fix our finances, if you'll just fix our health, if you just fix our relationship, if you just fix that, right now, I mean, we got this, you're our, you're our dad, right? I mean, you, you, you got the ability, you got all the, the power, you got all the resources, you could do this stuff, if you'll just fix it and let us go back to living our lives, then we're cool. Is that how the, the brothers would approach this? Is, again, is that how we handle our trials and struggles? See, through the trials, as I said a while ago, God, his intent is that our faith would be in him alone, that our reliance on him, our dependence on him would be in him alone, that our affection for him, all these things would not only be for him alone, but that it would increase in the trial, increase in the struggle. Think about this. God allows these trials in our life because he so loves us, and he knows what's eternally best for us. And he allows these things to happen in our lives so that we would learn to love him more and trust him more. And as we trust him more, begin to love him more. And this healthy cycle in our relationship with God begins to, 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 to be cultivated. And God, his heart swells. And, and, and as we grow closer and our affection is, grows deeper and, and we become more intimate with our father, he's able to say, here, I got this solution for you. Now, you wanted it back then, but now it's better because we're closer. You have more wisdom and preparation and strength for what's ahead and more prepared. Are you in a trial this morning? Are you in a struggle? Say, yeah, absolutely. I've been in one. Or I just entered one. And I've been doing exactly what you're talking about. I've just been asking God to fix it. I haven't really been pressing into him. If you're in a trial this morning, that's the key question. Are you pressing into God? Or are you pressing into God for his stuff? Are you pressing into God or are you pressing into God for his stuff? I've preached it many times before. But I believe if we'll respond rightly in the trials, all the intentions that I mentioned above that God has for us in the trials, our strength, our faith, our affection, all those things increase. All those things happen. And God gives a lesson. He gives a lesson in those, those, those places. And I believe the lesson is when, when we go through those trials and we draw closer to God and we find that, that closeness with Him, here's the lesson I believe God wants us to learn. This is how I want our relationship all the time. So because we all have that same tendency, right? We go through something bad, we go through some dif difficult trial, we go through a struggle, and we find ourselves doing that. We press into God, we press into God Please, God, search me. Forgive me. Is it something in my life? Fix this. God, help this. Help us. This. We, we begin to press into God, and we're praying maybe more than we ever have, and, and we're talking to God, and, 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 and I've seen this time and time again. People who are away from God and away from the body of Christ, all of a sudden they become super faithful to church, super faithful to, to, to Bible study, and they're putting stuff all over social media, and, 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 and they're just really getting, trying to get close to God so that this struggle, this trial can be over and be fixed in their life, and they can be done with it. And as soon as God says, okay, here's the fix, here's the solution, here's the relief, 
They do exactly what I said a while ago. They say, thanks, Dad. Thanks for fixing. We're going to go back to our life now. When in that trial, I believe God's trying to teach us, child, this is what I want every day from you. Even when you're on the mountaintop, even when you don't have these struggles, even when you don't have these problems, even when you don't have these issues that you need me to fix, I still want you to come to me and give me a hug and spend a little time with me. Just as I love when my girls just come and sit next to me and put their arm inside of my arm and put their head on my shoulder or come up to me and just give me a hug and give me a kiss. On, uh, the other day, Addison was just kissing us on the top of our head. I mean, it just, it's just a, just a uh, you can't, nothing else can explain that. You know, nothing else can compare with that. Just love just to love on. Not because we bought them a, a drink at Starbucks or not because we, we did something good for them, but just because they love us and they want to spend that time with us. Why would our Father in Heaven who gave His Son for our sins not want us just to spend time with Him every day, just to love on us so that we, when we love on Him, He can love us back? God would say, I, I want you desperate for me. I want you pressing into me. I want you to be there so that you're leaning on my strength, so that you're trusting in me, spending lots of time with me. Jesus taught this lesson to the disciples throughout his earthly ministry, and yet his disciples still missed it. In Mark chapter 14, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and his, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Simple thing. Here's, I, they had seen miracles, he had fed them, he had been with them, he had protected them, he had taught them, they, he had revealed himself to, to them. All of these things God had done, uh, again, God in the flesh, for the disciples. And he says to them in this very dire situation, right? He just told them, I'm going to go suffer. That's what's going to happen. I'm eating this last meal with you, and then I'm going to go suffer. So they go out to the garden, and he tells them a very simple request. Just sit here and pray. While I go and pray. And he took with them Peter and James and John, that inner circle, and they began, uh, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Stay awake and stay here. And going a little further, he fell down on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour, hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch? Couldn't you stay awake for just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking it? I mean, how long does a nap have to be? So he says, it's enough. The hour's come. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer's at hand. The difficulty of what they had just heard from, from the Lord's mouth, their sleepless, the, the sleepless encounter. Why are we so sleepy? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult right now? Those little difficulties right there would just be smaller trials to what they were about to face 
in his betrayal, in his trial, and in his crucifixion, because we know the story goes that they all flee. They all run. They're all afraid. John follows privately and, and, and sees what's going on. But they all leave. They're gone. They're afraid. They're scared. They're thinking if they took Jesus, who we saw raise people from the dead, we have no hope. we got to get out of here. See, I believe Jesus was trying to teach them even in that moment. It's important for you to press in. I'm pressing into the Father in my most dire moment. It's important for you to press into Him. It's important for you to be and rely on His strength because there's greater trials to come. As I said, if we're wise and we'll learn the lesson in the, maybe the smaller trials, we leave those trials doing the things that I mentioned before and prepared for what's ahead. My, my concern is, though, Sometimes we do what I said a while ago. We go through a small trial. And we just ask God to fix it. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll fix it. And then we just go back to living our lives, like I said. And we don't spend any more time getting close to the Lord. We don't spend any more time growing in our faith. And so the next trial comes along, and it's a little more difficult. It's a little bigger. And what God wanted for, to have us prepared for we missed because we just wanted the quick fix because it was uncomfortable. It wasn't what we wanted. It was our will, not his will. And so we get to that next trial, and it's a little harder, and we feel even more helpless, less equipped, less prepared, less strong. And so we get to that, and, and so we're like, ah, this is worse than the, the other trial. We may not think that, but that's how we feel. And so then we say, God, fix this. God, change this. God, help us. God, give me this job. God, do this. God, do that. And God says, okay, well, I, I'm going to let it go a little bit long because I, I want you to press into me. I, I want to teach you. I want to grow you. I want to help you. I want to prepare you for what's ahead. He said, God, but I just want you to fix it. We keep praying that prayer, and finally the time goes along, and maybe our faith grows a little bit. Maybe we have talked to God a little bit more than what we did before. And so God says, okay, the, the, the trial goes away. Time happens, and it goes away. And then we come to the next trial, and it's even greater. It's, it's almost just unbearable for us to live day to day in this type of trial and we say the same thing God fix it God change it God take it away God help us and God said but but I want to spend time with you I, I wanted to, and, and and you would have been more prepared to to walk into this trial and and to have the right perspective and and to have the right faith had you had you done these others before and and, and I'm afraid that sometimes we just want to skip the steps Along the way, God wants us to draw closer. He wants us to grow in our love, our faith, and again, be prepared for the next trial in our journey because we know that there's another trial ahead. In this world, you shall have tribulation, is what Jesus said. You're going to have trials. You're going to go through them. He, he told James to write these things that when you fall into diverse trials, when you go through various trials, not if, but when you do, we know that these, this is the reality of our life on this earth. We go through trials, but please listen to me. Greater trials often yield greater blessings. That's just the truth. Right? I mean, let's think about some physical things. I mean, you, you go out and you run a mile. I don't want to run a mile. But you go out and run a, while, run a mile, and if you have not run a mile, 
or you haven't run a mile in a long time, what happens after you finish that mile? Like, yes, you feel accomplished. You did something. You endured. You made it through. But go out and run a marathon. That's a completely different level. That's like 26 times more than that mile. That's a lot more. When you get done with that, after the mile, typically, there's nobody at a finish line. Typically, after a mile, there's nobody there to, to give you all kinds of electrolytes and, and, and to, to fill you full of accolade. You did it. You did a mile. You are a, a rare breed. You know, put the sticker on the back of your car. One, you know. <laughs> there's not really a, a, a market for that, I don't think. Maybe there is. I think there is. I saw a sticker the other day. I said, I need that sticker. It's like 0. 0.26 or so. I don't know. 0. 0.0. I don't know. I'm like, that's a good sticker. But um, <clears throat> again, oftentimes, just in, in the physical world, the greater trials yield the greater blessings. Think about even your relationship. You have a struggle. You have a great attack on your mere marriage, a great trial that y'all make it through. And if you make it through a healthy way and a right way, your marriage is stronger. It's, it's more enjoyable. Again, the lower the valley, the higher the mountain. Look what happens next. We're going to move on. Verse 4, And Joseph said to his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And listen to these words. Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. Because God did send me before you to preserve life. Wow. Wow. Think about that. There's no way Joseph could have known that 24 years before. There's no way the brothers would have known that their wrong actually God used to do something amazing for them in his grace and in his mercy. If you go back 24 years, you can see them sitting there with, with guilt on their conscience. You can see them thinking, and, and we even saw it in, in Scripture. You know, the older brothers look, what have you done? I go away, and he's now gone. Well, we sold him. At least we don't have to deal with it. In the days to follow, the guilt, the maybe even a little bit of conviction. Why, why have we done this? We messed up. 24 years, maybe, I guess he's dead. Never seen or heard of him ever again. Seeing your dad, heartache every single day, heartbroken, his son just taken from him. All these things they could have never seen. Joseph in prison, being falsely accused, uh, in prison, being forgotten. All the abandonment, all the betrayal, all of the hurt, all the bitterness, all the resentment, all of these things, there's no way those guys, including Joseph, could have seen 24 years later and known that this was God's will to bless them. Even in man's wrong, even in man's sin, God had a plan for his people. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness and grace. See, Joseph could have been an emotional, mental, personal ball of mess, just wrapped up in the chains of unforgiveness for 24 years. Joseph could have been an absolute wreck. But in this moment, standing there with his brothers, having their life in his hands, they are absolutely at his mercy. He put them to death. They stole from the governor, put them in prison. 
keep them as slaves, make them bond slaves, whatever. He had their life in his hands. And in this moment, instead of being that ball of unforgiveness, instead of being that mental, emotional, personal, spiritual wreck, captivated by this unforgiveness and resentment, Joseph had nothing, obviously, but love, grace, and forgiveness for the very offenders of his worst problems. Think about that. The people that caused him the worst pain, the people that caused him the the greatest offenders in his life, he showed nothing but love, grace, and forgiveness to Again, I don't know if you can have a a more beautiful or clearer picture of a type of Christ in the Old Testament than this right here. Because if you remember, that's exactly what Jesus had as he hung on the cross and he uttered the words, Father, forgive them. These men who just spat in my face, these men who just mocked me. Again, he was God. These men who just slapped me. And, and, and put a crown of thorns on my head and, and, and nailed me to a cross. These men that, that did all these things, these are the ones, God, I want you to forgive. His, their life was in his hands. He had the power to call legions of angels to, to, to take him, to, to, to do whatever. He could have called fire and brimstone down from heaven and destroyed all of the offenders. But in that moment, he gives grace and forgiveness. And so in this, I I see some some beautiful, clear things. And the first thing is a a clear invitation. The clear invitation was, come near to me. That's what Joseph desired. He wanted his brothers to be near to him. That's what God desires from us. It's the invitation. There's also a clear declaration of forgiveness. He was clear. Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. Right? Because... That's what the brothers could have thought of. Uh Uh-oh. I'm sure they did. This is Joseph. How bad did we treat him? How wrong did we do him? And if we're honest with ourselves, that's how we are with God sometimes. How bad have we treated him? How wrong have we wronged God? We saw on Wednesday night, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, that our, our forgiveness from God doesn't depend on us. Praise God. It says, if we will confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. He's the one. There's no limit to that. We we saw that God didn't say, well, you're going to come to me and ask for forgiveness for a hundred times. No, he doesn't. He just says, if we'll do this, this is his promise to forgive us. Don't be grieved or angry with with yourselves. And I love the, the clear purpose. God sent me before you to preserve life. I'm about done, but again, no one knew what was ahead. No one knew, except for God. God was the only one knew, who knew that. And in this moment, Joseph is telling them this. God did this. He sent me before you to preserve life. All they knew was the heartache, the hurt, the offenses. But God saw life. Even though they did nothing to deserve it. Think about this. Even the money they brought back. Hey, we did something right. That that doesn't make up for selling your brother and and, and convincing your dad that he was dead. I mean, hey, we brought some extra money back. You know? We brought back the money that you gave us. 
It's oftentimes the way it looks like in our relationship with God. God, hey, God, I did this. Does that really measure up to what I've done for you? No way. There's no way. They had done nothing to deserve this. What brought anguish and pain to Joseph, what, what was hurtful to him was in turn what brought freedom and blessing to his offenders. And when we consider our Lord's life, you hear that? What, what brought pain and anguish to Joseph is what brought freedom to his offenders. It's exactly what we see in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs, our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. We did him bad, even though he did this for us. Smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. All the bad went to him. All the good comes to us. Again, this is what we see with our, our Lord. Despite the wrong done to him by us, sinners, his invitation still stands, just as it says in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. See, that's what God wants. He doesn't say, and I have a solution to your problem. I have a fix to your struggle. He doesn't say that. He says, if you'll come to me, I am what you need. I have everything you need. Revelation chapter 3, the last book in the Bible, last prophecy. Jesus Christ revealing what his desire is for the churches. There in Asia Minor, it says this in verse 14, An angel of church Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, but I would that you were cold or hot, one or the other. But because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, Oh, but, but I'm rich and, and, and I'm increased with goods. I got a good life. I don't have a need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art Wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee buy of me gold tried in the fire, he says, that thou mayest be rich and white, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that thy shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Did you hear that? As many as I love, I don't just let them go frolicking along in their lives. I, I tell them, stop, because I love you, and I want you to follow me. I want you to press into me. And the invitation is clear. Behold, look, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Verse 22, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Again, from the beginning, we can see that when man thinks what he should do is right, it goes wrong. Adam, go down the list. Cain, even Abraham, hey, I'll tell him that she's my sister. I mean, go down the list. When man does what he thinks that is, is right, it's always wrong. The Bible says that. There's a way that seems right in a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Every man thinks he's right in his own eyes. But it's clear in Scripture that every single one of us are limited in our view. The Bible says that we see through a glass dimly. 
We don't see the whole picture. We see a muddied picture in the lens of our life right now. I don't understand it all. Again, you go back 24 years. Go back in your life 24 if you, if you can. You don't understand everything. But God does. He's eternal. He sees the picture, the whole picture. We're very limited. The Bible says that we're like a flower that appears for a little while and then goes away. We're like a vapor that comes and disappears. Again, our, our wisdom, our understanding pales in comparison to God. His strength is perfect. He is wisdom. He is goodness. He knows the plans for us. And the Bible says those plans are good to give us a future and a hope in Him. Even through the bad, God's plans are good. Even through the ugly, even through the struggle, His plans are still good. Now that doesn't make sense in man's wisdom, but remember, our wisdom is limited. A dim glass is what we see through. The only glimpse beyond this limited view that we have is seen in Scripture. All of these things combined, we know, and put this in your notes, that God has our best interest in mind and in His heart, even when our eyes and our understanding are veiled. When you turn to Scripture, you see that. Even though I don't understand it all, even though I can't see it all, when I look to Scripture, I know that God has my best interest in heart and mind. My best interest as it concerns His eternal will. Not my best interest as it pertains to me. That's the struggle we run into. My life should look like this. I should not have problems like this. I should not have struggles like this. That's in our mind. God says, look, I have your best interest in heart and mind. Trust me. Again, the, bro the brothers were blind to who was before them. They had every right and reason to fear, every right and reason to blame themselves. But all they experienced was grace. This morning, I want to encourage you, we need to trust God's wisdom, trust God's goodness, trust his plan, trust his justice, trust all of these things. Remember, if God would bruise his only son for our iniquities, not for his or anything close, he can't sin, there's no darkness in him at all, but if God would bruise his own son for us, so that our debt would be paid, we must rest in the virtues that he has in our trials. I don't understand it. I wish it would end. I wish I had answers. I wish I could fix it. I wish it would be over. It's been long enough. It's been difficult enough. It's in those moments we need to trust his virtues. As I've shared before, it's like a, it's like a puzzle. You throw those puzzle pieces out on the table, and it's like overwhelming sometimes. Oh, boy. You get the box, you try to figure out where you're going to start. You try to find corner pieces, and piece by piece, you've got to try to make it fit this picture that you have in your, in your head. And sometimes you get very frustrated because you think this piece is supposed to fit here, and it won't fit there, but it looks like it's supposed to fit there. Why won't it fit there? I'm looking at the picture, and it seems like it's supposed to go there. And that's how our lives are sometimes. We see piece by piece. The puzzle of our life is being put together, and all we see is a piece at a time. But God knows exactly the whole picture. He sees where every piece goes and when it's supposed to be put there. This morning, are you going through something that you don't understand? Are you going through a trial? Are you going through a struggle? Have you done something? Like you feel like you're unworthy of God's grace and his love, like the brothers. You say, yeah, that's me. I feel like I've I've just missed it. I feel like I've, I've done something and I, 
I'm just not worthy of God's love and his grace. Let me ask you this. Have you sold one of your siblings into slavery? Lied that he was dead to your father? I doubt it. I I doubt anybody here has. Then you have to trust God's goodness for your life. Stay there. Because it's him. Not because of what he can fix. But because he wants you there with him. Remember, God has our best interests in mind. He wants us in his presence. Trust him. Rest in him. Take each step, each day, one at a time, by just trusting him. If you're here and you've never entrusted him for anything, maybe you're going through religious motions. Maybe you come to church because it's the religious thing to do or the right thing to do. Listen, you're missing something because the most precious thing, the most eternal thing that we know is our soul. And if you, if you haven't entrusted that to Jesus Christ, I'm begging you today, come down here and, and talk to somebody about that. Before you leave today, we've got a card in, in, in those bulletins, and you say, you know what, I need to know more about salvation. I need to know about that. Fill that out and turn that in so we can talk to you about it. But Christian, if you're a child of God, and you have entrusted God with the most precious and eternal thing, your soul, how could we not trust him with everything else in our life? Think about that. If the most important thing to us, because once this life's over, it's eternity. It's over. One, we get one shot. And if you've given that to God, if you've entrusted him with that, how could we not entrust him with every single other thing in our life? He's good. He's right. And he wants us to press into him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this reminder that you are good. God, that you have a design, you've got a purpose in the trials. Sometimes we don't see. But God, you're interested in a relationship with us. So many times we get so busy building our lives and, and, and we're okay with you not being at the center of our life until there's a problem we can't fix. And then we want you to come and fix it and then we want to go back to our lives. God, forgive us for treating you like that. God, help us to make you the center. Lord, help us to press into you. And just as we see here in in your word, this this picture of love and grace and forgiveness, Joseph just wanted to be with his brothers and be close with them. And God, you want that with us. And it's from that closeness that more blessings can flow. And so I pray that you would help us this morning. Maybe there's some here that are going through such difficult trials that that they're at the end of their, their mind, they're at the end of their strength. Pray this morning you will you'll have spoken to them to just rest in you, just to find that place of comfort and peace in your presence daily, pressing into you and experiencing the joy that's found in that close relationship with you. And then let you handle the trial, let you handle it however you see fit and whenever you see fit, but just experiencing the blessings that come with that closeness with you. Lord, we ask you to move now in this inv- invitation as we respond to your word. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.